We're kicking off another episode of Wild Wayne Unchained, the podcast. Big shout out to our brand partners for this episode, Ill Epiphany Apparel. Be yourself. Be you. Be ill. It's Ill Epiphany Apparel for their spring line. Check it out at illepiphany.com. And our other brand partner for the show, We Print 101, Louisiana's premier printer specializing in business and personal printing, your one-stop shop for business cards, t-shirts, flyers, banners, backdrops, and promotional items. Free shipping nationwide. For more info, call 1-833-776-8101 or weprint101.us. about street art and graffiti is that whatever country you're in is happening right you know what right, i mean right. and, and I, at its best it's happening from those indigenous to that space mm-hmm. and the thing about if you think about graffiti as like a hip-hop thing graffiti started with the poor and the disenfranchised right. and when you travel the world you see that it's still like that you it's know what it mean? was their message board yeah it was their message board you know what i mean like uh-huh. I, I recently had the, the the privilege of traveling to palestine and it was like one of those things yeah. where yeah where graffiti was popping out there and I wouldn't even call it graffiti. It was using spray paint as a means to communicate what's happening. And it was done from people who mm-hmm. did not have permission or were not being told, were not being listened to. Listened to, listened to. Yes, indeed. Only in New Orleans, baby. It's your boy, Wild Wayne. It's to turn shorty. Big boy, we in the new Yes, with a brand new episode of the Wild Wayne Unchained podcast. Uh, we're continuing to control the narrative with this thing, man. Yes, we must control uh, the narrative. We we're, must we're, control we're excited. The narrative. We're super excited. Uh, not only are we able uh, to record and document like what's going on in New Orleans with culture, cuisine, and lifestyle, but we continue to grow, man. Uh, Rapidly, we we're we're charting Rapidly. on iTunes yes. nationally, uh, top one hundred, uh, which it kind of blew me away. Uh, so you guys keep subscribing, downloading, listening, and make comments. You know that's the thing. Drop those comments if it's something that you like, if it's something you learned, maybe if somebody you want to see or or hear on the podcast, like that's dope as well. And then we're expanding to other countries now to Australia. A lot of Australian people listen. Uh, and in uh, in France as well, yeah, yeah. of course, all across the United States. Uh-huh. But I mean, that's that's always exciting that other people want a taste of the culture. Cataluna, I, I, and I still where is Cataluna? Cataluna, I don't know. But on the mm-hmm. last metrics, it right, was like right. number, one, number one, wherever right. Cataluna so all the, is. All you Catalonians, <laughs> yeah, big ups. Thank yeah. you, thank you. How the hell are you that's from right, New Orleans? That's right. Straight from New Orleans to Catalonia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's thank, pretty dope, man. Thank you uh, for listening. And also, uh, we're going to jump into this because we got a lot to talk about yes, today. Yes. Um, and we have some food. We got some food and libations. 
Uh, you see this? I, I do. I see it. You see this? Setup? I'm ready to taste it. Man, you uh, see this? It's, this this is amazing, man. Uh, I don't even know where to start. You know, uh, I, I would say I would start with the star of the table, but there's a, there's stars all over. You mm-hmm. know, starting with this Element Lemonade is is, is tremendous. We've had that before, mm-hmm. and we had uh we got a special guest today from uh the Crazy Waffle Bar. Yeah, she brought us three different types of waffles: the sweet cornbread with jalapeno, uh, a traditional bubble waffle, uh, which is really dope, and and it looks good. It Mm -hmm. you eat with your eyes, right? That's right. Uh, And then the red velvet with vanilla cream. So those are all good. Uh, and we paired them today with a, a protein. That's right. That's, uh, well, that's how you do it, right? We paired mm-hmm. it with, yeah, you know, I got to get my little foodie on. There you go. Uh, there you we go. paired it with a protein from uh, Weed At Chicken and Shrimp, so we got some wings to go with our waffles. I eat chicken and waffles. The, All uh, right. New Orleans style. Right. That's that's the uh, New Orleans original. Yeah, that's absolutely. Yeah. He has three locations now, correct? Yeah, man, congratulations to my man Greg doing really big things and continuing to uh, expand his entrepreneurial empire. We're going to feature him on an upcoming show, cool. uh, so can't wait for that. Well, let's jump into it. Today, we have B. Mike. How are you? I am great. I'm happy to be here. How you doing? I'm good. Brandon <laughs> Odoms, man, uh, we have been back and forth for years mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. from the inception yeah uh two cents like yeah. that was our first real uh dealings together from a business perspective and uh media perspective as mm-hmm. well but i want to get even further back to oh, find wow. out about you know what may be might be mike you yeah, have yeah, yeah. international acclaim uh straight out the no uh and I uh, put that good, you heard me in there. Uh, that always is the stamp. Uh, but we want to know everything, man. We're trying to get everything in about the folks that are part of the fabric of this city. Mm-hmm. You know, um, not everybody can have international acclaim with a, a spray can in their hand. You know what I'm saying? That's big stuff. Yeah, definitely. Tell, tell me about where you came up. So I'm I'm from Algiers, the West Bank, 1.5. Um, you heard me. Across <laughs> <laughs> the water. <laughs> it always brings up some a little contention, you know, like, hey, New Orleans. But Algiers is New Orleans. I write New Orleans. But when I was living in Algiers, I would write New Orleans in my address and the mail would come. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I grew up in, um, I went to New Orleans public schools from Paul B. Havens to Edna Carr and mm-hmm. also NOCA, New Orleans Center of Creative Arts. Um which is, uh, I guess, in a lot of ways, one of the found foundations of of of, of what creatively, you know, mm-hmm. NOCA was definitely that as far as introducing me to like fine arts and what it means. I went there for visual arts as well as media arts. Okay. So it was there that I was introduced with to both like the painting and camera as like a means of of expressing yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I went to UNO. I, I I did NOCA enough. It was like four years of intensive art to make me be like, okay, art is not for me. Like I'm not gonna continue as a visual so with artist. NOCA, although they showed you all these wonderful things, yeah. you decided you didn't want to do art because it was like my, my my goals were very small, and at the time, my goal was to be the best artist in the school, and okay. I felt okay. that I had achieved that. And then once I achieved it, I was like, all right, what's next? Like I felt like the world wasn't a space for me to show art in because I didn't see examples of that. Mm-hmm. So my immediate uh, success model was, okay, how can I be the most successful in this space, mm-hmm. in this small school? Right, right, right. 
so I didn't see how art, you know, I didn't see reflections of like black artists who were doing amazing things. So um, that, visual artists. That's problematic. It is. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You have this wealth of talent you achieve, like mm-hmm. being the hottest, you know, young artist mm-hmm. in this institution. Mm-hmm. But you still. Well, it's arguable, you know, people uh, probably be like, oh, you wasn't that good. You know what I mean? But you didn't have much to compare it to from other people that came before yeah, you. Yeah, and, and I, I speak about that a lot. Not not to like diss Noka. I think Noka did a lot of great things, amazing things for me as as a, as a creative. You know, it surrounded me with peers that I'm still connected to today that are doing great things. You know, from Trombone Shorty to John Baptiste to friends of mine who are doing filmmaking and and and, and all these things of people who are still part of my network. So I think Noka definitely does a lot for a young creative. I think now I just ideally they're doing more to to think about like how diverse art is and the mm-hmm. representations of art in different spaces. But I know I can speak to my experience directly and say that we were a, we we learned art from a very European standpoint. Right. You know okay. what I mean? So there wasn't a lot of like examples of here is some dope black women, mm-hmm. whatever, contemporary artists. It was right. mostly about white men who had done art mm-hmm. in a long time ago. And so when you learn in it from that perspective, it's easy to be like, okay, this is not a space for me. Right. I right. know how to do it. Because it's almost like you don't belong. Exactly. Like yeah, you're, yeah. you're the it's outside not, looking in, but you're me. an yeah. artist. Exactly. Right. So, and, and it and is also a space where I found, as I would develop, and, and outside of Nogan, we could talk about that, but I found that I was more excited about like, Propaganda about advertisement. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I remember, I don't know if y'all remember, like the And One mixtape uh, cover, like the tape, the VHS yeah, yeah, tape. Yeah, 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 I was absolutely. more excited about seeing images like that than seeing like um, a, 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 a painting, a, 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 a painting from somebody who, who's in a museum. You know right, what I mean? Right, right. So I found that I was responding to things differently, and that wasn't the type of work that was celebrated. Actually, I had a friend of mine, one of my classmates, who did a recreation of that And One mixtape cover and submitted it as a, as a, um, as an assignment one one day and if they they kind of attacked it fully they were like you know this is not you know you should do this differently blah blah so you know which is a different way of looking at it which was important to kind of see the range of perspectives but i know the way i internalized it was like okay being creative using paint and and pastels Mm -hmm. and pencil is not my path Mm -hmm. and so i went to uno for filmmaking so let me ask you so my my question was really two pronged, not mm-hmm. just Noco, but New Orleans in general. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Were there many examples that you could emulate from greats well, in New Orleans? Period. It, it and we know they're there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, but it, was it hard to find? It was. I guess it was hard harder to find then because it, the social media, you know, Instagram and all these things right. wasn't readily available for you to get all that. Just see how small the world was in context to like people like you. Mm-hmm. But at that point, you had to either like be in the room or, or do the research to know where the, where the rooms were. Right. And so for me, you know what I mean. My people, we lived on the West Bank, so we I didn't really understand or see like the and I'm pretty sure you know I know for sure that there are many great amazing artists that are in this space you know but I wasn't aware at the time of like John Scott or like of, yeah, of any yeah. of like the great African American mm-hmm, artists that mm-hmm. are from here that 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 did amazing things with their art here because I just wasn't like connected to that um by 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 proxy, you know what I mean. I wasn't physically in those spaces, right, right. and like I said, the Instagram wasn't I mean, wasn't available. So for me, it was, it was just Black like, Planet, Black <laughs> Planet, and, and even on Black Planet, I was excited about. I don't know if y'all remember those. I was just thinking about this a couple of days ago. But those like animations, what they were called, like those. Um, they were like these little cartoonish figures that people would have on their pages. I'm gonna find that and recreate that in some way. Uh, <laughs> tell, tell tell me this mm-hmm. uh, from Noka. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now that you're out in the world, have you worked with any guys you went to school with or any girls you went oh, to school yeah, with? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's, that's been one of the exciting things about 
Noka, like I said, like having that network of people and anybody, young people that I know that are going to Noka now, I tell them like, don't um, dismiss the fact that you're surrounded by some of the greatest people that, that are going to like touch the earth in terms of the, what they're creating in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, like, um, for example, um, I did the Congo Square poster for Jazz Fest a couple years ago, and it was with uh, John Baptiste, who okay. was a classmate of mine. So right. I, I went out to New York, and we, we took some photos, and, and I used those photos for reference to paint. Um, um, I, I recently, um, and uh, who else? Uh, Christian Scott. I, I okay. recently uh, mm-hmm. did some work with him at the studio in terms of uh, we did like an art talk where we um, had this in-depth conversation about his story, but also trying to educate other young artists about what, thinking about... The arts of music. And, yeah, the arts and of music, art. and just mm-hmm. the way he, like, structures his... his. I feel like he's a very strategic person, and mm-hmm. I wanted people to understand, like, it's easy for people to look at an artist and say, oh, you're just naturally gifted. Right. And they can... Kind of like an athlete, where they can just dismiss the work or dismiss how right, much intention right, goes right, into right. it. And I felt like he was a great example of a person who's super educated and super intelligent, and he found a way to use his horn. Not found a way, but he implies that with his music. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted people to get that side of him. Right, um, right. And so there was a lot of young artists present, young musicians, and I wanted them to see that. But as well, I mean, when it comes to visual artists, um, there's some there's some um, visual art students that, uh, that I went to school with that I've worked with on projects. Um, so yeah, it's always like rays of trying to connect and reconnect with those, mm-hmm. those folks. I think they're all doing great things. And, and then after you moved on from UNO, how were the formative years uh, moving from NOCA to UNO? Yeah, so I went to UNO at the time. I, I took this internship when I was a senior in high school, and it was like this media internship, and it it, it, it had me um, in this space uh, called New Orleans Public Access TV and OATV. Okay. TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I did an internship there as a senior, and everybody in there took a liking to me, so they were like, you know, we want to give you a job when you graduate. Particularly the person over it at the time, he was like, well, I'm going to give you a job when you graduate. And... Um, so they kind of encouraged me, or he encouraged me to stay local. He was like, you know, UNO has a great film program. Go there, you know, get a job here. And that's kind of like, this could be a good start for you. Mm-hmm. And I did that. And um, so I went to UNO, and I started working at NOA TV officially. And it was just a great formative experience. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I was mm-hmm. I was forcing myself not only to, like, use these skills, be behind the camera, and practically do live TV where if you made a mistake people were going to see it you know right. but also I think more than that it was like this opportunity to kind of like connect with um, with, with griots and elders in the community because anybody who had a show on NOE TV it was either it was half religious programming mm-hmm. and half individuals who felt like they had something to say and community activists community a lot of times were on yeah. access television yeah. and they you know, they, they were unchained. Exactly. Like, you know, they no, were going talk. hard. They you were know going what super hard. And for me, as a person, like, who grew up in, you know, my, my father was in the, in, in the military. He was in the Marines for, like, 25 years. He's also a pastor. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up in a space where, like, we kind of had our own way of dealing with identity. You know what I mean? Whether it was, like, being a military brat and having to go all over the world and, mm-hmm. like, traveling and kind of understanding what that means. And, and then also, like, him being a pastor in terms of that identity. And so this was like one of the first times that I'm sitting behind a camera and and being preached to from this perspective of what it means to be black. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? What it means to be in a city that, that, that deals with class, that deals with, with poverty in ways that are, that, that historically have always been like egregious. And so for me being behind that camera was like being in, the best university in the world, you know what I mean? That's what I was thinking. This was your civics class. This was your social studies class. Exactly. Just live, you know what I'm saying? Because these are the people who lived it. These are people who were like former freedom riders, people from people who were like, 
you know, current and past activists, and I'm sitting there, and I had no choice but to tune in. Right, if, right. If my job was dependent upon me being behind the camera, listening, mm-hmm. if they move to the left, moving to the left, if they move to the right. So I'm in tune completely, and those years, you know, you shout out to up. all the range of people who, who, who I experienced during that time from... From uh, you know, some of the people I still run into in the streets, from W. C. Johnson, who has you know our story. That's the show he had. To mm-hmm. Paul Boyer, rest in peace. Yeah, to, to, yeah. to Lloyd Dennis, Love Doctor, like all these people who 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 really like, like you said, it was a civics class. I was mm-hmm. learning a lot during that mm-hmm. moment. You know, it was that the spark for Two Cent. Yeah, exactly. That that was the space when I realized that there was a gap between because those individuals who did the shows, they really didn't give much thought into aesthetics. You know, they were just like. Put me in front of the camera. Not, let me tell you, not at all. Straight read. <laughs> straight read. Two straight, straight read with a black curtain yeah, behind read. it. Right. That's exactly. it. Chaz right. was crooked. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And we, and we didn't put much into And set. part of our <laughs> job is exactly. like, where's the camera? Right. Shoot. Let's and part, talking. Right. part of our job was to like set up those sets. You know right. what I mean? So we had like, if the show was scheduled for 630, we'll get in there at like 615 and remember, okay, they like the two ferns over here. They like this. <laughs> and so, you know, and, and so to understand that there was not a lot of thought put into that. And, you know, part of it was the structure of it. There wasn't room for much to be done differently. Right. Um, but still, sitting behind the camera, I'm like, okay, there's got to be a way to repackage this type of information because I knew it was doing a lot for me. Right. Like, it was making me see the world in a completely different way. I felt like it was sharp. It was, like, intentional. And so I was like, there's got to be a way to, like, re- repackage this to represent it for, to make my generation watch it. Right, because... That generation was not watching. Not watching at all. We had a few shows. We had a show called All Good in the Hood. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A few yeah. people, I think, was tuning in. I had to do. I got stories for days for all these shows. I remember, I remember getting direction from the director on the headset, like, zoom into the butt, zoom into the butt. <laughs> As dancers dance. Like, just stuff like that you never forget. But um, but anyway, um, so yeah, so for me, it was like, okay. And then the, the blessing of this space, because this is prior to like smartphones and yeah. like, where everyone had, well, even DSLRs and mm-hmm. cameras were pretty difficult to get a hold of unless you had money. And they were and so, big and clunky yeah, and big heavy. And clunky. But yeah. the blessing was that being working at the space, they had confidence in me. So it was like, you can check out equipment anytime you want. Mm. You know, so it was with this thought that, okay, I have access to equipment, I have access to lights, I have a passion and desire to create content and create video. Mm-hmm. And here I am being informed. And so I have this sort of intention around what I want to say. And I was going to UNO, so I was meeting a lot of other creatives. Mm-hmm. And that kind of was all the ingredients that uh, produced uh, Two Cent. And I think it's always important that, like, you tell these stories, especially mm-hmm. people that listen, like, you got to go for it. Yeah, You know what I'm definitely. saying? Because Step you were young, right. and, yeah, and they right. probably they liked your work, mm-hmm. but they didn't know what this yeah. guy was going to bring to the table, and, and you went for it. Yeah, and it was one of those things for a long time. It was like, I mean, now, especially with the media and stuff, there's mm-hmm. a there's a format in terms of people understand, oh, I get why people are doing this. Like, if you see somebody walking with a camera now, you'd be like, oh, I understand what's possible with them doing this. We were doing this at a time when we rolled up in with a camera and lights. Right. People looking at us like, y'all ain't the news? Like... Y'all ain't. What, y'all what are y'all ain't, doing? Yeah, right. What are y'all, what y'all doing? doing? Like, right. why you? Was, y'all got too much really time on your hands. Yeah, that was the right. literally the the main critique we got all the time is that oh y'all got too much time on your hand, and so but we we persevered. So it was basically a, a group of people that I met at UNO. Some of them I had knew from high school, but most of them were like brand new people who. Um, it was kind of like picking a team for mm-hmm. for like basketball. I was like, okay, you good at this? I see you do this. You're hilarious. You make mm-hmm. people laugh. Come together, let's have a meeting. Let's figure out what we can do with these cameras. And 
that's what we did. I yeah. was going to ask you those guys that you were in Two Cent with. Mm-hmm. You still you still collaborate with? Oh them? yeah, you yeah. Said? So we, I mean, Two Cent has had many um, stages, evolutions of stages evolutions. since mm-hmm. that. When we first started, it was definitely about trying to create what we called a TV show, and it wasn't. It had no format, so it wasn't like a real TV show. It was just us, sort of like us today. You know, yeah. I feel like no. I feel like there's way more thought being put into this than what we were doing. We were basically like, you know. We were inspired by the Chappelle show. We were inspired by, you know, uh, uh, it, it live in color a little live bit. Live in color, like uh, also like the the like the the I don't know if y'all remember hits from the street. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we were inspired by he, all he these things. Down here one time. Yeah, the yeah. yeah. We were inspired cool. by all that, and we kind of combined it to this show that just initially had no format. We were just doing sketches. We were doing interviews on the street. We were doing music segments. And somehow we chopped it up into this like hour long thing that we then presented to UNO. Who was your first team? Oh, the first team, man. It was it was uh, myself. It was Stiggity Steve. Yeah. It was uh, Gizmo. It was um. Oh man, you're gonna get me in trouble. <laughs> um, it was um. As you know, Randy. everyone listens to the podcast. It was, now. It was Sierra. It was uh. It was uh Janelle. It was um Ashanti. It was. It was a lot of people who I met at UNO. Steve-O, um, mm-hmm. Kevin came on, like, like after the first episode, Kevin came on. Kev, Kev. Yeah. From the 7 what? Yeah, from the 7 <laughs> I met him through Manny Fresh. That was fun. Uh-huh. Um, but anyway, we, we premiered this show on UNO's campus. We put flyers around the school. You know, we wasn't online promoting it. There was right. no such thing. Mm-hmm. Not, not really. I mean, it was on the board yeah, in, the, yeah, in we, the UC. Yeah, we had it on the board. <laughs> we had, like, we, we, we jacked a bunch of, like, um, it was after an election, but we jacked a bunch of, like, election signs <laughs> and then retaped our stuff on it and put it around campus. And then we showed it with a projector. And I remember that vibe that day. What was day. the first show? It was called Perception of the Black Man. And it was um, all these sketches around just because we were mostly black men. So we mm-hmm. wanted to talk about that's why I was called Two Sinks. We was like, this is our voice. And so we wanted to talk about what it was like being a black man. And so we had all these comedic sketches around. Like, for example, one was like these white students were walking. One dropped his wallet and then Gizmo saw they dropped the wallet. He picked it up and he tried to get their attention. They just see this black guy running after them. So they start running <laughs> and it leads to this whole chase. <laughs> Where he's just trying to give them so stuff like that that really was just like okay it's kind of funny it's cool um, but anyway we showed it and I think the vibe that stuck with us that day when we showed it it was professors that showed up family members it was our peers mm-hmm. and after we showed this hour long video that we worked so hard on it was like this vibe of it felt like church afterwards where everybody was like we need this like this is I remember Lloyd Dennis stood up and he said we need to see this like we need this. And and there was tears from us because we knew we worked hard. There was a family that was our, our friends laughing and and celebrating. And from that point on, we felt like okay, this is something we got to do more of. And that's kind of what continued us. I mean, At two cents, I, I like I remember you coming on on a bunch of the shows. Like yeah. I was like eager, like man, you got something else? Come on, come yeah. highlight about it. And uh, and I think. Like that coin drop became yeah. almost Pavlovian. Yeah, you know when you heard it, it's like yeah, and it that's, was, and that's it was, the crazy thing because at that time I remember I had a teacher who told me like you should look into this YouTube thing and see about putting your stuff on there. We were working on like the second quote unquote episode. Ain't that crazy? This YouTube yeah. thing. And we were like at first I remember we were thinking like no, we're not about to give this stuff away. Like, right. We, we want right. to keep this. We want to. And so we were looking at YouTube like no, we're not putting that on there. Um, we're trying to get paid. We I in know. college. We need some money. Our goal was like we're gonna get this on TV. Right. Um. And then Katrina hit. This was like we were working on the second episode. Katrina hit, and obviously that impacted everyone on mm-hmm. multiple ways. But amongst outside of our personal impact, it, it impacted how we looked at this this work, this experiment called Two Cent that we were playing with. 
and we were all separated in different parts of the country and we made a choice. We was like, okay, is this something that we're going to take serious? And if so, we need to make an effort to come back together. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe prematurely, but we decided this is something we want to take serious. So we all moved to Atlanta and from there we started working on the next episode that was about Katrina Mm -hmm. um, that kind of forced us back into the city to document what was going on. Wow, that that's huge. I, I think uh, just just courageous too. You know, yeah. the youthful exuberance not to even want to take no for an answer and get yeah. it done and poke fun at the system. Yeah, all simultaneously is 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 big. And that's when it got real, not real political. But that's when it got more political. Because prior to that, it was just like theories. It was like, okay, we know that there is a a, a systematic uh, racism. We know that there's this, we know that there's that. We read about this, we read about that. After that Katrina, after Katrina and while working on the Katrina episode, we were exploring like, this is really happening. Were people mad? Right were there some people yeah. that was y'all were poking, poking fun at that got upset about it? Because y'all were pretty brash in some of y'all ideas. I mean, so they got to a point, like with the Katrina thing, we, 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 we kind of like, we felt the love of the community because right. people felt like this is not being said. We need to hear this because the news was saying something different, mm-hmm. et cetera. But then as we grew and started to find, you know, our niche in certain spaces, you thinking about YouTube and what videos go viral and all those things, when when viral became a thing, mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. started doing more parody videos and right. like um, just parodying rappers and, and putting them in like educational, like off the wall scenarios. And we did this parody with um, every book in the world. Two set. The business. Uh, just read a book that's a thousand pages long. Open up the page that filet me on that chapter. I'ma I'ma get in and on that chapter. Soon as I begin, I'ma own that chapter. Chris, Chris, Christmas break from school. Read a book cause you supposed to. Girl, I got a notebook. I'm writing a note to you. I don't need no reading glasses. I don't even need class. Tell them keep my name out their mouth if they can't read fast. I wish I could read every book. Well, we remixed Every Girl, the Little Wayne song. I remember that. And we transformed it to Every Book because we had a relationship with Scholastic at the time. We were doing these festivals mm-hmm. and giving out mm-hmm. books. And so we wanted to kind of promote that. And so we did have this like infamous uh, uh, beef with Tom Joyner. Um, oh, yeah, where, yeah, yeah. I featured yeah, y'all on the show. Yeah, we talked we, about we came, that. We talked about it on the show. Yeah, where he. Uh, some his producer something got wind of the story about this parody of Lil Wayne's Every Girl into every book and he didn't watch the video but he just decided to talk about it and right. say how we were wrong for using that song and we should go back to parents don't understand and, and he like basically like chastised us on the radio and we kind of like you know we were like yo that was like one of those moments where we that was I think to me like the highlight of not the highlight but that was like one of the, the best moments of the two cent like process because it was at that point we decided that we were going to make him recant his statement Mm -hmm. we were going to get him to like realize that we who we were and we were going to demand money from him and so we did that we 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 had we we called people on twitter and and instagram wasn't a thing then but twitter and facebook we said you know hashtag this and contact tom joiner say i support two cent or i rock with two cent and it was like this mass of people who were supporting us mm-hmm. um, saying, you know, Tom Joyner is wrong. Two Cent does this great work, blah, blah, blah. And then finally, after like 
emails and 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 um tweets from people and he finally got a chance to watch it yeah because he, he hadn't watched it he I hadn't watched this. it yeah and he, he contacted one of our supporters he just happened to email back someone who could contact us and she sent us the email he sent her and he was like my office is being flooded with these calls and these and these emails I'm going to get to it if I can. He kind of said it like that. And then we kept doing it. And then his producer hit me up and was like, okay, we're going to put you on the show. So they put up the white flag. Enough. Enough. But then I get on the show and I remember it was, Tom wouldn't even speak to me. It was, um, what's the guy name that has this news one? Um, um, he does the little. He has the the pieces on Nolan, uh, uh, Roland Nor- Yeah, Roland, Roland. Yeah, Roland Martin. Roland yeah. Martin. Yeah. So yeah. he wouldn't like he had Roland talk the whole time. He wouldn't even speak to me. So I felt mad played. So then he was like, Nah, we gonna do something else. So he just said he decided he told us to go to parents don't understand. So we did this parody video called Tom don't understand. <laughs> and we did this whole video directed at him, and that got his attention. And then he said, I saw the video. I understand. He called us back on the show. I talked with him on the air, and then he said. Cause the whole video we were like we we gonna ask him for money. Right. So right, the whole right. video we like Tom cut us a check. You got problems with what we doing? Cut us a check. Like right, we got right, this right. literacy program. Why don't you support it? And then so he went on the radio and he was like, I watched the video. I understand what you do, and I want to cut you a check. So that was like a big victory for us to kind of it was like David and Goliath. Like, mm-hmm. Here's this huge media giant. Here we were like these small, you know. And it's kind of ironic that he would even go there because he was like very integral in. The civil rights movement yeah. when he was a youth. You know what I'm saying? His book is it's a very good biography, yeah. actually. Um, and he broke a lot of barriers he and he really was strong arm and uh considering that he was so pale, mm-hmm. I'm calling pale, <laughs> uh uh during that that time he was a guy that really made a lot of change. So it's really ironic that he would go hard at y'all. Yeah. And that's where he came from. And that was part of our our response was we we respected him so much that we didn't want to like it was funny because and we documented this whole process like a small video on YouTube mm-hmm. but a few of the guys like wanted to diss him like wanted to go hard against him we were like nah there's an opportunity to build here right like he called us out so instead of trying to destroy let's figure out how we can build something together and that's mm-hmm. where the whole impetus was like all right Tom here's what we do why don't you support it like why right. don't you understand the work and that's ultimately what ended up happening. He never cut us a check, though. He he was like, "What?" Yeah, he said it on the air that he would, and then his people contacted oh, us, right. and they were like, "Actually, y'all don't have a nonprofit, so we can't give y'all money, but we can help y'all start a nonprofit." And you could have called me, bro. I had a nonprofit. Man, we could have we got was, that funnel straight to you, bro. We were young and we were like, "Man, we ain't trying to start no nonprofit. You gonna cut us?" A-? Yeah, we were kind of ignorant about that, and and because that was like year four of Two Cent. Um, we've been going strong now for about. 11 years right um so anyway now at two cent we, we we don't do the videos as much we oh, i'm sorry now with two cent we don't do the videos as much um just because you know because you have a very busy and demanding yeah. schedule yeah. And, and in life sometimes getting away people that's grow true. up and move in different yeah. directions yeah. uh but that's a perfect segue mm-hmm. uh Into so it. what was next for you uh although that was a collective yeah uh, well let me say this we still two cents still does the summer camp we've been doing that for nine years now so that's like our, what type of camp is it it's a media arts camp where we train young people how to use the media and arts as a way to like speak their voice mm-hmm. similar how we started doing we recognize that as an important thing to 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 be done so mm-hmm. now we're trying to impart that to the next generation they be conscious of the fact that they have a smartphone mm-hmm. that they can capture something that can get millions of views on world star like if we tell them all the time like if you watch a fight at your school and you film it and you know you could get millions of views on world star from that fight 
Think about what else you can capture. Think about what other stories you can mm-hmm, tell mm-hmm. that can also attract that many eyeballs right. and, and, and you can potentially be, like you said, own your story and yeah. you control the narrative. Correct. And so that's what we try to do with that camp. So anyway, yeah, but that's a segue. Um, but, but before before we mm-hmm. go too far, the, the uh, Two Cent Camp, mm-hmm. uh, someone's interested in enrolling. How, how would they do that? Yeah, so it's through um, the uh, youth... Um, Man, I'm, I'm off pitch. It's it's through the, the NOLA Youth Works with the city. Mm-hmm. So if they sign up to job one, um, okay. the unfortunate thing is there's, there's no direct way for them to like request to be a part of Two Cent. Wow. Um, but if they sign up to the job one summer program, um, there's a strong chance that they will be placed with us. Outside okay. of that process, that's a way for them to do it, for them to get paid. Like, because the summer, the, the NOLA Youth Works, the city program where the students get paid to do a summer okay. program. To yeah, get they, skills. Have, they have stipends, yeah, they for, get stipends. for them. Gotcha. Yeah. Outside of that, and we encourage kids to try that route because that way they are getting the stipends. But if that doesn't work, if they know they want to work directly with us, they can easily contact us. Um, you can send an email to Studio B Nola, and we, we we place young people in directly in our camp all the time mm-hmm. for those parents who like I would absolutely want my children to know and understand media. Then gotcha. they sign up to us. Yeah. Okay. And then, and how did how did and that's a good thing. You know, I've been doing camps for a long time, mm-hmm. and it's so impactful. Um, to building up our yeah. youth, especially if you have something that's very direct and intentional about mm-hmm. what you want to do. I mean, that's why I started my camp because I just thought, and I started mine in 2000, that, mm-hmm. that the camps that preceded me were just warehousing kids. Yeah. So I needed to do something that was going to be direct and yeah. really make an impact on these kids' lives and create structure. And I like to have males in front of them. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Nothing mm-hmm. wrong with females. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think they have enough. You're right, in the school, uh, yeah. Positive, positive, and alpha males in front of our kids, yeah. mm-hmm. and that's nothing that uh, is chauvinistic in any way. But I just think being a dad, mm-hmm. like you know, I use daddy stuff a lot of time, and and kids respect uh, respect both, but mm-hmm. I think they react differently sometimes to yeah. men being in front of them because they don't see enough of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, um, you can find out about my uh, summer. Uh, youth program as well at uh, benjaminfoundation.org just for more details. Yeah, your camp have came to Studio B a bunch yeah, of times. And yeah. even before that, we two sent and spoke at your camp and showed our videos. I think one of the most exciting part of our first year of our camp, we made it a uh, responsibility of our young people to present at your camp. Mm-hmm. Normally we were like, okay, we do these talks all the time. But we told them, no, okay, y'all going to have to speak to this camp. There's some kids a little bit younger than y'all. But y'all gonna have to speak to them about y'all experience, right. and, and they were super excited. They were nervous, but they got in front. They showed the video, and they it were was so good. Like yeah. you know, I don't know if you really know, yeah. But you know, I, I was with those kids every day. Mm. You know, so for them to see your group of kids mm-hmm. that were not that much right. older mm-hmm. have put together a holistic piece from mm-hmm. the scripting of it yeah. to the filming to the editing, uh, to the acting or whatever mm-hmm. in it, like they were like, wow, yeah, that's they're. Right. They're just like me, yeah, you know? Yeah. It's not like them looking at Steven Spielberg. This yeah, is somebody yeah, that yeah, looks, yeah, dresses, yeah. talks just like me, maybe even from my same neighborhood. Right, that's, exactly. That's dope. Peer-to-peer is, is so, yeah. so powerful. Yeah, peer pressure is a thing. I mean, I think Positive it, peer yeah. pressure is good, Yeah, exactly. Too, so it's not like you're going to avoid peer pressure, but you can try to make sure it's as positive as possible. Cause, right. Because kids going to definitely emulate what they see. Mm-hmm. You got to make sure they're seeing the right thing. Yeah. Gotcha. When did you start, like, moving... Although you still do that, yeah, yeah, yeah. you you became like a guy that was the go-to guy for art, like yeah. you know what I'm saying. Although you had always done it, yeah. So it was kind of one of those things where I was doing it on the side. I, I no longer saw it as something that I was interested in doing as like a career or, or a way to like to brand myself with it. So mm-hmm. I was kind of just doing it 
because I knew how to do it and I was it, it made me happy. So I remember I did like a birthday party when I turned 25, for example, and I decided I was going to do 25 portraits of people who I looked up to. And mm. that was probably like the first time I had painted in a long time. But I just knew I wanted to do this this like representation of inspiration through portraits. Mm-hmm. So it was, art was something that was always still a part of me. Um, but at the same time, like I quit my job at the TV station and I started because Two Cent wasn't making money. It was we, we unfortunately we never like figured out how to monetize it. It was a labor of love. It was a labor of love. Right. And it was kind of ahead of our time, too, because now there's so many ways to monetize that type of work. Y'all could have got a content deal from yeah. Netflix, Hulu, back then, something. Back then, we were shooting for TV, and, right. and, and we came close a bunch of times. We had to pitch meetings with BET and with Comedy Central, and we, we thought we were at the door and we were about to walk in, but it never worked out. And most of our mentors who saw beyond what we were were like, TV is not the thing. Like, look at what you're already doing. Figure how you balked that. We were naive. We were like, nah, we trying to get on TV. We want to be stars. At least that was the energy mm-hmm. we had. And mm-hmm. in hindsight now, it's like, you, you look at some of these YouTube stars and Instagram stars and like TV is the last thing that they're focused yeah, on because, on yeah, it's right. Right now, they building their own empire and the, the structure wasn't there for us. There weren't brands that were interested in like sponsoring mm. YouTube or like, like you said, you were ahead of your time. Yeah. Really? So right. because of that, we kind of like, um, you know, I had to find other ways to make money. So I started doing music videos using the same format, you know, renting out cameras and from my studio, I mean, from the TV station. Mm-hmm. That. And so that's kind of like became like the bread and butter. And it was through music videos. I was doing that for like eight years, just like. I had kind of strategically planned that if I do one music video a month, like I could survive on my own without having a job. And I was doing it for a long time, mm-hmm. um, you know, ranging productions from stuff, for, you know, pretty much all of the the, the, the rappers, or performers in the city from 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 currency to, to I did trombone shorty elevator music huh? yeah the elevator music yeah, for, yeah. for currency i did trombone shorty's first two music videos i did you know manny fresh first independent music video when he left cash money um i did a few for juvenile so that was just like exciting for me because i've always been fans of music but i've never was had you know i couldn't mm-hmm. perform so yeah uh, now, now we know you're artsy we, we know mm-hmm. you can paint what not are you musically are, are you nah that's the thing so are i wasn't i mean I, i've always been a fan of it i've always been surrounded by it but i, I felt like I never like you know they got the African proverb you could talk you could sing you could walk you could dance but mm-hmm. I never explored any of those things myself right, but right. I've always been a fan so the point me being able to do music videos is like an extension of my fandom in a way it's like you know I could listen to a song I could work with the artist I could help them bring it to life you know I could work with artists as they were developing like D1 like me and him met like we always talk we met when we neither of us had locks you know what I mean right, we right. met young <laughs> well, and we were like let's chart this together so I did like all like the first 10 music videos for D1 mm-hmm. so I took pride in the fact that like, I can help and be in of assistance to an artist right. and so I was excited about that plus it was making me a little money on the side but it was through the music videos that I got introduced or reintroduced to graffiti and street art because I remember doing a music video I can't remember who it was for it was for some rapper, and we were like in the back. We were trying to find locations in like the Ninth Ward, because everybody wanted that destroyed, you know, post Katrina apocalyptic vibe right, video. Right, right, right. And so we were trying to find a spot, and I remember we found this, um, the Florida housing. Not found, but we we cause it wasn't lost. Stumbled but, across. Yeah, we stumbled across the Florida mm-hmm. housing project, and we walking around, and I'm like, man, this is amazing. Like the fact that there, and even other spots. I remember doing a video for the show now, um, Don Flamingo. And we were in this abandoned warehouse somewhere. I don't remember where we were, but I remember we walked into this one space and there was this beautiful painting of a bird, like high above the the ground level. And I was just so confused. I was like, how did they do that? Why did they do that? Mm -hmm. And it was just one of those things that stuck with me. I I I was fascinated 
And so I found myself going back in those spaces, not with not with my camera, but just to explore and see what what else I can find. And then from there, I went to like sounds like some dangerous shit. It was dangerous, you know. <laughs> I would always go with a squad, but it was one of it was those times when like you know post Katrina boredom in a way where it's right. like you know see what we can get into. Yeah, see what we get into. Right. It was just right. mad spaces right. that were just like. Y'all snuck into Jazzland? We was Jazzland all the time. I did like four music videos <laughs> in Jazzland. Yeah, <laughs> I did a video for Mickey Fax in Jazzland that was like. I feel like it was super dope. Um, I, yeah, I did some. I the did, ghost of Jazzland. Yeah, it was a bunch of. Yeah, we was there super late one night. We got stories for days about Jazzland. But so anyway, being in those spaces, like kind of imitation being the hottest form of flattery, mm-hmm. I was like, all right, I'm about to pick up some cans. I'm gonna go to Home Depot, buy some cans, and try right. this out. And I started. I remember I was in uh, Carver's old building. It's knocked down, and they got the new building mm-hmm. now. But when Carver had their their older school building, that was um, empty since mm-hmm. Katrina. That was like my playground for the longest. I was back there like experimenting, trying things out, writing names and trying to do the whole graffiti lettering. And then I realized like I, I wasn't, I was, it wasn't sticking. Like I wasn't good at lettering. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait a minute, I know how to paint. I know how to do portraits. Let me try this out. So I remember playing with different portraits. Um, and that's kind of how it's developed for me. Like that was like five, six years ago. See, for me, that's what I was always wondering. Like, mm-hmm. cause I've watched you paint and mm-hmm. then I've seen other videos Mm-hmm. Of you and with the spray paint cans, how in your mind do you do it to scale? Like yeah, if you're looking at a picture, like mm-hmm. you know it's in front of you, it's eight by ten or eight mm-hmm. by twelve or something like that. But this wall is thirty feet tall, yeah, and yeah, you yeah. have to do it to scale, yeah. and everything still remain proportionally correct. Like is yeah, that I mean, just like some savant thing or whatever? Nah, not really. I mean, it's kind of like one of those things where you know, just like with anything, you know, they say you put ten thousand hours, you become right, you know, professional. Right. You come great at it, and I think for me, like those formative years were like that's where all the mistakes were. So they had some bad ones. That oh yeah, a lot of ones. There's a lot of images that will never be seen because as soon as I done, I'm like, nah, I'm not showing this. I'm not even taking a photo. And in those spaces, did it it cover them up? Nah, you don't even need to cover them up because you know nobody else is going to see it. And even if they do, they're not going to connect it to you. So that was like the 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 beauty of being of creating in those spaces. Did you put like another artist name on it? I didn't put no name. That wasn't me. I didn't put any name on it. There's many pieces that I didn't put any name on it. But what what happened was as I. What you learn about spray paint, the more you use it, the more you know you get comfortable with it. You never fully gain control of it, but you start to understand what makes certain things happen. And also with spray paint, it, it sprays opaque. So the minute you think you make a mistake, you can completely cover it. Because you don't have to be perfect with yeah, it. Because nah. it's such a big piece you can yeah, and that's also the highlights thing too. Like, and stuff like that to kind of... Like, for example, I recently did a piece in Times Square, and this was like probably the, one of the largest pieces I've done. And it was like maybe like six stories, seven stories wow. big. But it was it started at like the tenth story, you know what I mean? So it was like way up in the air, and I remember. I was, so you was that high up? Yeah, I was in like one of those window washer things. It was intense. Were you scared? I was in, terrified. Yeah, <laughs> I remember one time. So it's like two that's people. Giant. Yeah, it's like it's two people have to control the machine. It's like a suspended platform. There's a motor on both sides. You need two people. So myself and this a friend of mine who was helping me. Right. And I remember one time. And it's literally like an L shape, and you're just dangling from two wires. So it's not oh. like it's connected to the Mm-mm. wall at all. Nope, not you can me, push brother. yourself off of it if you want. Uh. And so at one point, he's sitting there. He's like, "You feel like it's shaking?" And I was like, "Dude, that's my leg." <laughs> like, that's, how, that's how like terrified. But it was one of those things where like it's like an adventure. You got the, the adrenaline. But um, when we were up there, like he was such a perfectionist. I'm not a perfectionist when it comes to creating, but he was a perfectionist. And I'm like, dude, you realize people down there, they're like. They're not going to see any of these details. They will details. never see, right. Yeah, right. so we, it, it took for us to come down and look at the wall and be like, yeah, you're right. Like, all that work we just did, you can't really see it. So right, right. you do benefit from the distance. But overall, it is like this, um, 
you know, you you constantly building on top of it. It's like it's like a skeleton, then the muscles, then the skin. You know, you keep so you before you can fully make a mistake, there are stops in place to check that mistake. Mm-hmm. Many stops in place before you get to the final piece. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for, for my listeners, mm-hmm. our podcast listeners, our uh, Unchained listeners in New York, mm-hmm. where's the building? So I have two in New York. There's one in Times Square. That's 51st and Broadway. It's on the the side of the Winter Garden Theater. Okay. So if you're you walk past all the big lights in in the block the next block over well if you're in New York you know 51st and Broadway okay. um and then I have another piece What's it in a picture Harlem. of? It's a picture of Mo Salah who's uh it was for the World Cup mm-hmm. and Mo Salah is the soccer star from Egypt yes. mm-hmm. and um so it was I mean I didn't talk about it was done with Bleacher Report is a you know the the sports publication. We're just supposed to do that one in New Orleans? Well so I did three pieces. Okay. So it was like a it was like a a, a World Cup like Mural project okay. So I did one in Miami That's no longer there Because they hated on it uh, um, It was Neymar Jr It was my favorite one Of the group um, But this other soccer company Purchased the building And painted over That's oh. how That's Ooh. how like So so it's Someone else took it down Someone else painted yeah, it They bought the building So they could take it down yeah, like they, well, As soon as they saw Neymar on the building They were like Oh uh-uh, we're not having this Was this a shoe company Or the actual nah, soccer so, team So Miami had Has a new Um Minor league soccer team, okay. I think it's called gotcha. or whatever, but it's like sponsored by an actual soccer star. Okay. Who I guess, my opinion, I mean, it's probably not publicized, but my opinion is they don't like they didn't like the fact that Neymar was painted in their city. So it's not 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 the artist. No, not the artist. It's the fact. Right. It's kind of like you know, if, if if you in in Miami and, and somebody paints a mural LeBron, it's like, oh, he ain't doing that. You know what I mean? Gotcha. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like you know, it's kind of I think it was that type of like internal like uh, conflict. But mm-hmm. then they they. Painted their own soccer mural on top of it, but anyway, so I did that one in um, <laughs> New York, Neymar. I mean, Neymar, Miami, Mosala in New York, and then in New Orleans, I did Paul Pugba, um, and that's located on the Lafitte Greenway. Um, right. Yeah, so that was a project, a big project I did with uh, Bleach Report. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was the other New York one. You said you oh, did yeah, two in did New York. Another one in New York uh, was it's in Harlem. That was not done for this. This was done independently. This was uh, what it was done with this education organization. But it was a, a portrait of Dizzy Gillespie. Um, it was right in his old hood, mm. and so it was mm. like a tribute to him. It's like this. Um, it's it's probably like a five story side of a building. Um, it's like a full head to toe uh, portrait of Dizzy. That was a lot of fun too. So are you now considered like? The world expert on huge murals. <laughs> not the world murals. expert. I think I, I benefit from a few things. I think there's a because there's not that many. I'm sure. No, I mean that's the thing. I, I benefit from the fact that there is a wave. There's a new interest in public art all over the world. You know what I mean? And there are many artists that are working in that space. Some who transitioned from doing graffiti to now doing murals. Some who who's been in the space strictly doing murals. Do you feel um, like you are the inspiration for the growth? Because no, people I, have always done graffiti and even even large scale ones, but yours have been like so vibrant and especially with I, like no, Exhibit think, B has I, that I think, I think in this city maybe you can make that okay, argument okay, in but, terms of like but there being a shift in how people see public spaces to not just see graffiti as a nuisance, but to see the potential that it has. Mm-hmm. I think that I was a part of that shift in okay. terms of like, cause you know, with, with exhibit B, the goal was to work with graffiti writers as well as um, visual artists and to kind of recreate that space. Mm-hmm. And I think people saw how graffiti is not just whatever their fears mm-hmm. were. Um, 
So I think that was, but I can't take full credit for that because it was the courage of the people who own the property right. to say yes. Right. It was all the artists that put hands on the wall. So I mean, it's hard to be like, yeah, I'm the one, but I, I do think part there was a it. shift that I was a part of. Uh-huh. But I think globally, there's been this, there's been this shift um, that's been happening for a while now. You can credit whatever people, the superstars like Banksy or or, or uh, uh, Obey or you know some of the the artists from from different parts of the, mm-hmm. of the country or the world. Um, I think, unfortunately, I'm one of the few black artists that are that's in the space, hmm. and I think as a result of that, um, that it can feel sometimes that you know I'm 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 alone from that space. You know what right, I mean? Right. And and that's not by I mean I think it's by design in terms of prior to me, but it's not design in terms. I'm not trying to keep it that way. I'm not trying to be like oh it's just me in here. What about I'm Latinos? Do they have many Latinos that do it? It depends on where you are. You know what I mean? I think definitely. Um, I, I like there's. What the thing about street art and graffiti is that whatever country you're in, it's happening. Right, you know what right, I mean. Right. And, and I, at its best, it's happening from those indigenous to that space. Mm-hmm. And the thing about if you think about graffiti as like a hip hop thing, graffiti started with the poor, the disenfranchised. Right. And when you travel the world, you see that it's still like that. You it's know, their, it mean? was their message board. Yeah, it was their <laughs> message board. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. I, I recently had the, the the privilege of traveling to Palestine, and it was like one of those things really? where, yeah, where graffiti was popping out there, and it was it was done. From the, and I wouldn't even call it graffiti. It was using spray paint as a means to communicate was happening, and it was done from people who mm-hmm. did not have permission or were not being told, were not being listened to. Right. So right. you see that trend still happening. I don't want to call it a trend, but you see, you see that tool or that weapon being mm-hmm. used all over the world. And then you you do have like, it's like anything. Like when you think about hip hop, you think about the underground hip hop. Then you think about pop. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there are people who. Who would be considered pop? You right, know what I mean? right, who, right. They come in when the money's there, <laughs> and and they and, and they bring attention. You know, so I don't know what space I'm in now. I mean, I don't think I'm um I don't think I'm pop. I know I'm not completely underground anymore. Um, so I'm like right in the middle. Right. You know what I mean? So look, I remember when Exhibit B mm-hmm. uh, was happening. Right, that was crazy. And uh, I won't lie. I'm, I'm I'm an honest guy. Mm-hmm. I did not get it mm-hmm. yeah, because yeah. because I didn't see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. like people were telling me about it, it's going on, and I was like, uh, well, I, okay, mm-hmm. I didn't know. And mm-hmm. then uh, so I went mm-hmm. on the final day, right? Because mm-hmm. it had been open, I think. Yeah, I remember you telling me the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it was, uh, I was mind blown. Like, yeah. but. Even before I got to visualize the scope of the work that you and your team had done with these abandoned apartment buildings, mm-hmm. but my walk from the car, and it was ridiculously crowded. Wasn't yeah. it like around MLK Day that y'all yeah, dropped? It was on MLK Day. It was yeah, on yeah, MLK yeah. Day, right? Yeah. So I'm walking up and still could not see it, mm-hmm. but in front of me was like, an old white couple mm-hmm. in front of them was like some young Asian kids mm-hmm. on the other side of them was some Latino teenagers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there was black folks. And I was like, yeah, I'm born and raised in New Orleans, seven yeah. ward yeah. for life, hard head. Yeah. I'd never seen nothing like this. Right. Yeah. Unless it was a problem. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So for me, I was just in my mind, like, what am I, going yeah. into right and as i got a little bit closer i was late mm-hmm. 
people were jumping the fence to get yeah, in because they weren't letting yeah. anybody in. Yeah. And I was just like, what in the hell? Yeah, it was wow. So <laughs> that memory combined with being inside and seeing it yeah. and seeing like some of my people like from mm. Dead Press, my homie David Banner yeah. and being there. And I was up there with you guys yeah. at the top. Mm. Like this was our generation's civil rights moment. Yeah, it was. That's what I felt like because there were messages, you know, from iconic figures globally that you guys painted as well as yeah. locals. Uh, I'm still mind blown by by the, the scope of that thing. So kudos to you on on doing it. Yeah, it was it was it was great. Like, yeah, that's one of those moments that is like, and look and look looking back, it's just like it's. Yes, it's it's such a magical moment that it still gives me chills thinking about it. You know that that closing was was surpassed my wildest dreams in terms of like we we hired three security, excuse me, we hired three security guards. They couldn't we, keep up. We thought that's that that was our <laughs> anticipation. We were like, okay, it's gonna be a block party. We are gonna have a little fun. Let's hire. We had three sheriff's officers, and I remember when it got to the point when we start seeing the volumes of people. I remember the police the police captain of the district came and he came directly and found found me. He was like. Um, you got to shut this down. And I was like, I can't shut it down. He's like, well, you got to close the gate. You can't let nobody in. He's like, it's unfair for my district to have all my officers out there. And at the time, I had not even been outside. Right. I kind of like, I knew, I was like so nervous and, and like, I was just isolating myself to the to the top, to the little uh, stage area. Right, right. And he was like, he's like, all right, so I, I gave the word to close the gate. They closed the gate. And then that's when I heard people were jumping the fence, they finding were, other ways to yeah. get in. Yeah. yeah, we were inside. We were inside before they closed the gate. Mm -hmm. you know, we were amongst the people. You guys were up top, you know, in the in the in the suites. You know, <laughs> you, know you sedity people. You guys are up top. I'm, I'm down amongst the people because I I am among you know I, I am of the people. Right. So Amen. I'm down there with the people, and it's a totally totally different experience down here. Right. You know, you guys are looking down uh -huh. and seeing what's going on, but. Like you said, you got the whites, you got the Asians, mm -hmm. you know, you got you got the New Orleanians, you got the out of towners. Yeah. And just to listen to the conversation, just to take it all in. It was a full experience, man. Right. It it, it was dope. It, it was yeah, really dope. It was, it was one of those things that like I think, um and actually I was so nervous. There were so many things behind the scenes that was happening, you know, we were just, you know, it was my first time pr producing something on that level. So just even the logistics of it, you know, it where's Eric? Caught you, you on know, guard, like, huh? Or, or where you know, just like all the simple stuff like, Oh, we're running out of this, so there's no more where's the water? Or the, the food trucks ran out of the food, all these things. But those um, are good problems. Those are good problems, those yeah. Are but, good problems, right? but still I was just pacing back. I remember at one point <laughs> nobody I, well, we talked about this once, but I, nobody really know. But that like a mattress caught on fire in the back of the building, like what? and so Things like that that we were like at any point I felt like oh this is about to get this is, this is about to go bad you know I was just so nervous I remember David Banner saw me pacing he was like how you doing and I just like I just can't wait for this to be over and then he stopped me he was like son he was like look he was like I tried and I never forget what he told me he was like I traveled all over the world he said I I've done amazing things but I never existed in the moment he said and now those moments are gone for me he was mm. like but this is your moment you need to live in this moment you need to fully exist he said you see all these people out there it was like this is your moment like just stay in it don't don't own it yeah own it and, own I, it. and from that point i kind of calmed down and i was like all right let me try to be present as much as i could but prior to that i was just like the only thing i was thinking about is like let this day hurry up and in hurry up and in hurry up and in right because you know in the world sometimes things go awry yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. it ruins beautiful things yeah and so. i was i was scared i was i was nervous because like i said we had three security guards the owner of the property was out of town which was a great thing because I think he would have panicked. Like, he would have had my anxiety times 100. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, it was like, 
we filed a permit for a, a, a party, like a like a like a block party, like to put a DJ outside your house for for like, about forty five people. Yeah, like, <laughs> like we did not like do the necessary steps to create what we had out there. Right, right. And when you think about it, with people hanging from the ledges at the top, like yes. just dangling their feet, it was crazy. And we, we were, were like, there, oh no. Were there any numbers on it? Did, is there any way to? So we we had, I think we had, I don't know if we had admission stickers. There was a way at first that we had like. Um, Stickers we were giving out to people as they went in, and I think I only purchased five thousand of them. Well, I had and, a sticker. I was yeah, in, I was in with the early bunch. So, and I think we ran out of them within the, the first hour. And so, like the estimation, I don't know who came up with the estimation, but in the paper it said like over ten thousand people. Yeah. See, I, I posted know. a drone shot. Yeah, that yeah. that day, and I wrote my little comments. I don't remember what I wrote, I but it was so seeing, moving to I me. I remember yeah. seeing that picture. I yeah. was down there in the blue shirt. Yeah, <laughs> I had the blue shirt on down in the left hand corner. I over saw that on the side. On the, oh, side. the other side. The other side. The All other right. Side. Who, who, who are, uh, like, I remember David Banner being there. I, mm-hmm. I know Dad Prez was there. Uh, yeah, was, did Erica Badu come? Yeah, she came. Erica Badu yeah. was there. So it was. Uh, it yes. started with um, um, Edna Carr Marching Band. That's my mm-hmm. alma mater. So they came through. And then uh, Christian Scott performed. And then uh, Tank and the Bangers. Um, and then um, D1, mm-hmm. um, Dead Prez. David Banner, he spoke. He he performed like he did like a few freestyles. He was mostly like there as like an inspirational yeah, speaker. Yeah. Um, and then Erica Badu. Um, and the thing was, it's like what, what a lot of people don't understand. Oh, and Hill Harper and I. Uh, oh yeah. Co-hosted. Yeah, I remember it. he was there. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and then <laughs> uh, Mayor Landrew even <laughs> he showed up. <laughs> and, oh, Mitch. Um, Mitch showed up, and the next day I know he was on stage speaking, which is cool. You know, right. me and him cool. Um, but it was one of those things where it was like we existed for so long, like outside of the uh, uh, appreciation of the city, right? And then so we were constantly nervous that the city was going to shut us down and that we didn't. Mm-hmm. And then to be at the closing and then turn around and the mayor's right there and he he's addressing the crowd. It was like okay. You know how did this happen? Yeah, it was, it was one of those things. But you know, it is. You know, that's how, that's how that goes. So, so that's the experience, right? Uh-huh. That that's just so vivid in my mind. Like I said, uh-huh. I feel like it was a, a, our civil rights moment. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Of yeah. bringing people together on. Uh, oh my bad! Uh, and uh, Trombone Shorty and New Breed Brass Band performed as well. Okay. Okay. Um, from an activism meets art standpoint, mm-hmm. why did you do it? That's what yeah, I want to know. I like, think, what in your brain said? Uh-huh. I want to do this whole build. It was massive. It was the exterior. It was a lot of interior mm-hmm. pieces. Uh, great quotes from great people that were inspiring. What what drove you to do this? Yeah, I think uh, one of my favorite quotes is I, I should know who said it, but it was something to the fact that when you see boundaries as opportunities, the world becomes a limitless place. And so for me at the time, like I saw mm-hmm. this boundary that was like that meant a lot to everyone because whatever your capacity of being in New Orleans, you had a relationship to what those spaces represented, whether it was the blight in terms of your idea of what progress looks like and you just saw this blight as like, oh, this is, look, the city's not moving forward because look at these big blighted properties or whether you were more sensitive and you saw this as a representation of of this horrific event that occurred Mm -hmm. and you saw the fact that families used to live here and they're no longer there, there was still like this connection that we all had to those spaces. I had a personal connection in that particular space because I had family members who lived there. Mm. And so it was kind of like this this memory or this understanding of what it was. You know, like I said, I'm from Algiers. So there's there's that memory of like, okay, 
this was a space that my parents told me, oh, you can't go back there. You know what I mean? Because it was a rough space at, at a certain yeah, time. Yeah, rough you know space. I mean? So, you know, Christopher Holmes, the De Gaulle Manor, all that area was kind of like at some, at, at, you know, a lot, a lot of points was like, okay, that's the rough side of the, or the West Bank or the Algiers. You know what I mean? So for me, there was a lot of personal reasons why when I started painting in that space, it became important to to see how it could be transformed into in, into something that honored and, and, and respected the best of what it was. Um, but also I think, it was a moment to kind of showcase what was possible with art and the power that art had. And I felt like all the artists that were involved in that project were artists that at the time, the institutions had no room for us. Like they, we weren't getting gallery shows or we weren't selling paintings. You know, at the time, like most of those artists, whether it was the graffiti writers or whether it was myself, Cole Young or Jess Twin, like all these people who, uh, Ron Theron, like uh, Anna, all these people who were like a part of the project, like, we weren't showing art in the the contemporary or the the fancy spaces. So for us, it was like, this is, it's kind of like that Jay-Z lyric, the same person you gave nothing, I make something doing. It's mm-hmm. like, so this is what you give us, we gonna make something out of it. Right, and right, so right. it's the poetry, the alchemy around the idea of transforming, which is what hip hop is, what, what I think the black experience has always been about from the spirituals to jazz, to rock and roll, to hip hop, it's always been about, oh, that's the little bit you leaving us? All right, cool, watch what we do with it. And so that's what we did with that. Do it with space. food too. Yeah, with food, yeah, except the culinary arts, you know, with literature, it's like- That's, that's all they got left? Yeah, it's watch like, this magic. watch what we do with this. And so I think for us as artists, that was our, that was our time to do that. That was our time in a very important moment in New Orleans, in, in, in New Orleans existence to kind of show how the genius of, of New Orleans creatives can transform that pain. Mm-hmm. We saw it happen with the music. One of my favorite responses to Hurricane Katrina was all the mixtapes that came out after Katrina. You know what I mean? The dope right. music. And a lot of, I don't think it's ever gotten the credit it's gotten in terms of how those poets and griots were able to transform that into something. And I remember being in Atlanta, listening to mixtapes from Dizzy to the show, mm-hmm. to, to, to Kid Kid and all these people. And I'm like, to authentic. Kate Gates. And I'm like- I had the 504 radio series with yeah, me exactly. and DJ Chicken. Yeah, it so it's just like, just, it? It, from the bouncer from Weeby, all these people, I'm just like, man, this is like, this is how you respond to pain. Like this is this is, this is is ancestral in a way. You know, mm-hmm. this is how we respond to pain. And so for us as artists, this was our moment to do exactly what that tradition taught us, which was to turn pain into beauty. And so for, for so for it was many overlapping reasons why we were motivated to do that. And like I said, personally, it was about, you know, those spaces represent so much, you know, like all the families that were no longer there. Like, how can we honor them? How can we give justice to the fact right. that this is a sacred space? And part of the challenge throughout was to make sure that all these people who probably had never stepped foot in that space, how do we make sure that they understand that they're on sacred ground? How do we confront them in the best way possible to let them know that these spaces exist all over, you know what I mean? Like The this, world, all yeah, over exactly. the world. exactly, and yeah. it's like, just because we put some art on it doesn't omit the fact that it's real, right, you know what I mean? Right. And so, yeah, so that was the motivation. Now, weren't they gonna tear it down right after that? Yeah, that, man. Was that kind of why they let you do it, quote? That, that was the reason, it, I think, initially. <laughs> it's so funny, And man. it's still up, isn't it? It's still up. So, so, so I heard there was a bald eagle in the area. What? Like, I, re- I read this, that there was a bald eagle in some tree really close to that because they were supposed to make it into a sports complex when yeah. they tore it down but they could not demolish it because of this nesting bald eagle I didn't know that the, the story, like, real talk the story I heard was that um, they were supposed to tear it down mm-hmm. they were supposed to start construction but <laughs> in hindsight <laughs> the guy who gave us permission to do what we did there the guy who gave me permission who said you can do this 
I found out in hindsight that he never had authority to give me permission. Wow. He was not ever the owner of the property. What? <laughs> is that sort of like, you know, it's, so, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission? But, but still, right, we, we you know? were operating from a space where we thought we had 100% agency to do what we were doing. And, right. and truthfully, yeah, just at renegade. any point, if someone would have did the research, they right. could have basically went in and been like, Y'all not supposed to be here. Y'all got to so the fact that the project existed is nothing but the good Lord that that allowed it to be what wow. it was. But anyway, so we were we were told that they were going to start construction on this particular date. Bulldozers were going to come, so that's when we had lead up because we like the next day it was mm-hmm. or like a week later it was supposed mm-hmm. to be demolished. That particular project never got the steam for political not political reasons, but like they were expecting FEMA to kick in money, and and then that space is already caught up in a whole bunch of legalities and lawsuits with previous owners. Now the space, however, is so it's still close to what it looked like. Now the space has become like almost like a, a movie house, like a production space. Because a million people have gone over there to shot music videos. Yeah. Well, not so. even in music videos. Like there's been so many like um, studio films shot there. It's, right. it's crazy. Um, the you, last one you get that residuals I was aware of, off of that. That's that's the blessing out of it. Where if they do it the right way, and most of the productions do. They have to get, um, they have to basically get the artist to sign or whatever artist they're painting in front of, they have mm-hmm. to license the piece. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. typically, at its best, that comes with a check. Um, they'll try to like finesse you because they think, you a know. check is always good. Yeah, they try to think, well, since you're not in Hollywood, you don't know, but mm-hmm. after it's been doing it for so long, you know. Because they don't want to get that cease and desist letter. That's they don't, the problem. They don't. So, for example, the last film that shot that that I'm aware of was this film called Black and Blue, and it's a, a Sony film, mm-hmm. and it's about like a, a a police. It's kind of like on some training day stuff. Like mm-hmm. this police officer observes a crooked cop kill some black gangsters, and then she's torn with this decision of being in the crosshairs of other police because she wants to like um, confront them or 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 like um, or have to deal with the hood or have to deal with the hood who's basically see her as the enemy because she's a police. Right. So it's right. kind of like this political film is directed by this black guy, um, Dion uh, Taylor, who's done a bunch of dope films. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, so for that particular film, the, the 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 cinematographer, the DP, who 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 got a wide resume, he's this French dude. He's done the Marvel films, like. They were basically saying when they did their scouting to figure out what city they were going to film it in, when they saw that space, that's when he was like, you have to do this film here. And he was like, it was just because of this space. He was wow. like, I saw this space. He said, this space should be preserved. He, in his French accent, he was like, this space should be preserved forever. And so in my mind, I'm like, this space is sacred for me, but this should not still be here. You know what I mean? Like, So you got to talk to the right person about that, obviously, because don't go back to the guy you talked to last time. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, I, there's a plan for this space. I okay. did, I did eventually meet the guy who owns it, and there is a plan for this space. I'm not sure. Was he aware of it? He said he was aware. He said he just kind of conveniently like decided not to be visible. Uh, I mm. think, I think it was easier for him to just look the other way than to mm. be involved, and then if something did go wrong, like have to throw his hands yeah. up. Oh, I didn't know nothing about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, so, right, right. But, but there is a plan for this space. I'm, I'm not. I'm not a developer, so I don't know the politics of those things, but I know there is a plan for it, but I know there's always been a plan for that space. Um, I know many council members I've spoke with have said that that's been the bane of their of their tenure. Talk about it or be about it. There yeah. it is. Studio yeah. B. What is Studio B? Yeah, so Studio B is just the current iteration of, of my art. Like, after Exhibit B ended, um, basically it was... Uh, it was a space that I was like, okay, now that I learned these lessons from painting in the street, like how can I fully intentionalize that in an indoor space? And there's a little bit more control where I can 
have a little bit more sustainability around the work. Mm-hmm. And so now Studio B, we modeled it after like the CAC or like the NOMA where we charge admission, mm-hmm. we do school tours, we do group tours. And it's a, my first solo show is 35,000 square feet. It's a warehouse um, that basically is telling my story and uh, what I want to talk about as an artist. Um, and we've been in existence. We first, it was initially a pop-up that would only be one year. Um, but you know, thanks to to being partnering with, with with you know, and people who are understanding of the arts and and celebrate the arts. Um, so, for example, Sean Cummings, who owns the property, he's been very um, um, giving in the idea that that this doesn't have to end um, for that one year. So we've been in existence for three years now. Um, kind of ironic, it's right down the street from Noka where you guys it's right down the street from Noka. Yeah, and we Full just circle. yesterday, yeah, yeah, just yesterday we had like. 50 students from NOCA that came by. And um, so, yeah, so I think it, it ideally at its best, it represents a, a possibility of what art can do, hopefully to those students to see, you know, the example that I never saw, mm-hmm. which was that, you know, there are people of color, people who are from here that are doing things with art. Um, and it's not it's not magic, you know what I mean? It's not like I benefit from having an extra arm, you know what I mean, or, right. or extra brain, you know. It's just, you know, it, what, it happened. What's a couple of the key parts inside of Studio B? Because for those that are listening around the world mm-hmm. that have never been, like, mm-hmm. it's some very uh, mind-pushing mm-hmm. art that's not just... You know, flat art is like yeah, 3D I mean, stuff. It's conceptual. Yeah. It's it's a lot of different things. Yeah, so the goal was to just, it's 35,000 square feet, so it's a large space, and the goal was to like build it out as best as possible. So, excuse me. Um, So there's uh, traditional murals, like remembering what I would do outdoors. And then there's pieces on canvas, me exploring like just the idea of fine arts and the idea that art can sell. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been a blessing that pieces are selling. But then there's also like, like you said, there's, there's three-dimensional works, there's installations. We built a, a miniature basketball court in there to have a conversation around, you know, athletics and numbers of people who make it into the pros versus those uh, like black men who go to prison. Mm-hmm. And then there's also like a, a big installation around Hurricane Katrina with like storm clouds and rooftops and boats. Um, and water lines. And water lines, that, yeah. That's an interesting part for those that don't know. They might just look past it. But mm-hmm. if you're from New Orleans, just the way they are recreated that. Yeah. But use really vivid colors or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that that waterline, like people from here mm-hmm. that experienced that thing, that waterline is something significant, you know? Yeah, definitely. And ironically, there's also walls that have been preserved from the very first project that 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 project B that was in the Florida Housing Project that mm-hmm. was not permit. It was not legal. People weren't allowed to to visit the space, but people did. Um, but there are cut out walls from that particular space that's also inside the studio. So so for those that that are. Uh, that haven't visited New Orleans or that can't make it to New Orleans, how, how can they see this? I mean, so on the Instagram, the website, bmike.com, uh, has full images of the space um, on my Instagram as well as Two Cents. I mean, not Two Cents, I'm sorry. Studio B's Instagram. My mm-hmm. Instagram is bmike underscore. Right, right. I don't even know my Instagram. My Instagram is bmike2c. <laughs> and then Studio B's Instagram is studio underscore b underscore. And on there, you can see tons of images um, about the space. And... Um, We've been blessed, you know. We've been having write-ups from all over, from from National Geographic. We've been featured to Forbes, just featured us on a list of of. of it's, it's weird that it's becoming a space, or it is a space that's now one of these spaces one is supposed to visit when they come to New Orleans, gotcha. and it's a blessing that now when we open the doors is. 
I like the fact that if I sit on the stoop in front of Studio B or the steps in front of Studio B and I see people walking up the street, there's no way for me to identify who's going to come into the door. Mm-hmm. There's no way to be like, oh, this person has a black power shirt on, so they're definitely coming in. Or this person has, you know, that's like, I don't know, because like the range is so wide and broad, you know, the age, the race, the 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 the, the, the demographic is, is beautiful to see that. Um, so, yeah, we're excited and ideally, God willing, we'll be there for a while. So we use the same two addresses you just gave us for purchasing also? Yeah, because a part of the idea as an artist, as y'all can imagine, sustainability is a thing. And, you know, we live in a city that hasn't quite understood how to sustain creatives. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's a whole conversation around, you know, we have such a culture base and such a creative based city. and. And and just the gap, you know, I was in a conference recently. It was talking about how New Orleans touts like these just billions of dollars in tourism dollars, but the average culture bearer makes fifteen thousand a year. Wow! And so when you think about that discrepancy, it's it's such a egregious thing that needs to be explored deeply. Right. But so for the studio, sustainability was part of the idea yeah. from the beginning. So we charge admission. You know, it's it's no longer just a practice for me. I have twelve employees there, so mm-hmm. it's, it's something that's helping you know other artists and younger and younger um, creatives. Um, so yeah, so there's a there's stuff available on the and website. Get the shirts. They the got shirts good shirts. Available. Yeah, like they, that that shirt. A lot of people have bought it all across the world. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know that it's your shirt. Mm-hmm. We are our ancestors' wildest yeah. dreams. It was yeah. featured on some TV shows yeah, globally. It's been all over the place. Uh, it's hard to keep touch. But that's that's your creation. Yeah, it started from a painting. It was a painting that uh, it was actually a portrait of Tank from Tank and the Bangers. Mm-hmm. And I painted it on her shirt on the on the portrait. And when we opened the studio, it was like, okay, let's actually make this into a shirt so mm-hmm. we can put something in the gift shop. Right. And it got a life of its own. What yeah. what was it featured on? It was featured on the TV show. Oh man, it's been it's been featured on Queen Sugar, it's been yeah. featured on Blackish, it's been featured on Black Lightning. That's the name of the show. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It's been featured on a few movies. And then even outside of that, you know, I mean Oprah posted it. Like that's the ultimate cosign. Like yeah. Oprah posted it on her Instagram. It don't hurt. And, said, <laughs> and she and she, literally like Ava Duvernay, she set that up. She Oprah stunning on me. She called and she was like, I love your t shirt. I'm about to post it. She said, I want to make sure everybody at my Thanksgiving table has it on. Oh, and wow. I'm gonna post it. And tell people where I got it, so be prepared to sell all your T-shirts. That's literally what she said. So and that happened, I'm and sure. It happened, definitely, <laughs> definitely, yeah. So it's been a blessing. It's definitely been a blessing, and I never imagined that that would be something. You know, apparel is something that you know, as an artist, you think about. Okay, how can I subsidize or sustain some things by putting some stuff on shirts? But I never thought. You know, that led to me doing an, uh, like. There's two things coming up. There's a, I did an apparel. A collection for Spotify for Black History Month. Okay. Like, I mean, I'm a visual artist. I never thought, you know, but right. that was something they wanted me to do. They didn't want me to come and do a mural. They wanted me to do an apparel collection. Right. Gotcha. And so it was a series of pieces that was designed to educate people around different moments in black music history. Mm-hmm. And then I have an upcoming collaboration that I'm, I hope to talk about soon, but it's also apparel based. And so, yeah, so it's like the doors open. You got to be courageous enough to want to walk into them and not be fearful. And yeah, so that's so, what we're trying so to do. So real quick, real quick, besides your thirty-five thousand square foot mm-hmm. uh, exhibition, where else can we find you? Where else can you find you? I mean, depending on your city, I got murals all over the world. Um, so hopefully, if you um, you know go to the website I'm, uh, soon, I'm hope to put up a map that has all the murals. But ah, I got dope ideas. I got murals all over um, m- most of the major cities. And uh, if not, then hit me up and try to find me a wall, and I'll be there. No doubt, Wild Wayne Unchained, the podcast. You hear me? I've been waiting to get you on since we first 
uh, envisioned doing this. I was like, I gotta get B Mike. I, I saw Nicole. That. I was like, Nicole, I need B Mike. Uh, uh, and, and I'm glad you uh, were able to come up because I just know that we have to continue to put the word out about our people Definitely. in our way. Like, Definitely. you know what I'm saying? It's cool for the Washington Post to write about it or mm -hmm. New York Times or mm -hmm. some, some uh, documentary from mm -hmm. uh, California or something like mm -hmm. that. But we got to tell our own stories with our own people because we have uh, a wealth of stories. Right. Uh, so if you do not know about B Mike, I'm sure that you do now because I want to get the whole story. I appreciate it. And Definitely. I know there's even more, uh, but we really got it in today. So I want to thank you for stopping by uh, to the podcast, Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank um, you. And uh, we're, we're going to have many more incredible ones on the way. Big shout out to our supporting cast, the team. Of course, my co-host, Sean Royal, the co-pilot. Hey, hey, hey. uh, um, C. Smith and Buck Jump Studios. Shout out to Trombone Shorty. Shout out to the Cajun Fire guy. They're behind the camera today. They kind of yeah. say That's what red. I'm talking about. That's what say I'm talking red. about. Get it in. That's their production company. Uh, shout out to Angelique Phipps as well, uh, our brand partnership manager. Um, but there it is. We'll be back with more Wild Wayne Unchained coming up. Make sure and leave some comments, man, if you're digging this. That's right. Keep, keep the DMs and uh, the emails coming. We need those. Cut. All right. Cut. <laughs> Dynamite. Here is a story that must be told. Let me tell you a little something about the reading rainbow. Two cent game over in the listening to the wild wayne unchained podcast make sure and follow us on social media at wild wayne unchained and for advertising or sponsorship opportunities contact us at wild wayne unchained at gmail.com